Hello and welcome to the Crowdfunding Champions podcast. I'm Rob Wilson and my guest today is Phil Zeidler, the co-founder at Dead Happy, who raised over £2.7 million from over 1,200 investors on Cedars. Phil, thank you so much for taking the time today. Very welcome. Thank you for inviting me. So for those who aren't familiar with Mick and Tail and your somewhat controversial marketing campaign, could you tell us more about Dead Happy? Sure. And I guess to your point, most people, for those that have, will recognize Dead Happy as, uh, as an alternative approach in terms of marketing and branding for a life insurance business. And that's predominantly what the market sees. So our view is life insurance is a really important product because it helps protect people's families in the tragic event that obviously someone dies. Unfortunately, that is something that happens. Our view and the reason we we launched the way, one of the reasons we launched the way we launched in terms of our brand and our product is because it's quite a hard, difficult topic to get your head around. And humor is often a really useful tool to explore some, you know, those more difficult topics. So dead happy obviously is an oxymoron. It doesn't make any sense, but that is partly the point is just engage people, get some real cut through to grab people's attention and then use a bit of humor with our characters like Mick and Tell just to have some everyday conversations about the value of having protection for your family. And that's really where uh, ethos and the uh, genesis of the whole branding tone of voice comes from. Yeah. Okay. And in terms of your funding journey, you've been funded by Octopus Ventures and uh, eVentures early on in your journey. Why did you choose to go down the crowdfunding route for this round? It was a really good debate. And I have to confess, I wasn't an advocate in the first instance for a crowdfunding round element to it. But I was persuaded by the recognition that one of the things that we take great pride in is our customers and, and how they view us. So underneath the branding that you can see there and the humor that draws people in, we've actually redesigned the product to the point where we make it incredibly simple and incredibly easy for people to onboard and actually then facilitate exactly what they want with our Death Wish platform. So all of those things have led us to have brilliant NPS scores. Our NPS is over 80. For those not familiar, NPS is Net Promoter Score. So typically, it can go from minus 100 to plus 100 is the scale. Financial services industries don't normally have huge Net Promoter Scores, and life insurers average is 11, uh, and we're over 80. So it tells you that our customer base love what we do because of the simplicity uh, and the ease with which we you know, tackle a difficult product area. So where I was persuaded is all of these customers that we have got on are obviously fans and advocates. And so a crowdfunding investment route gave an opportunity for our best supporters both to invest in the business should they show wish and therefore have an even better reason to be advocates for the business. And, and sure enough, what we have found is that, you know, we had over 1,200 people invest on the crowdfunding platform, which was fantastic. And so these guys now have an added interest and an added reason, not just to promote us, but also to give us honest, genuine feedback. And we're really clear that we don't know all the answers. <laughs> we, we definitely don't. And one of the ways that you help evolve a new proposition like ours is you go out and you ask lots of people. And asking your customer base is, is a really valuable role, uh, route. Uh, if you're asking a customer base that's also an investor base, that's an even better route. And that was one of the overriding 
rationale for me that meant that it made so much sense to have a crowdfunding element to the round. Now, you ended up raising over £2.7 million from over 1,200 investors. Were you happy and satisfied with the amount that you raised and the number of investors that took part in the campaign? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we smashed through the target raise by a significant margin. You know, one and a half million was the target we raised in the end, 2.75. So almost doubled target raise, which is awesome. If you get to that critical mass, it's quite common to get over. But I suppose we weren't arrogant enough to believe that was definitely going to happen for us. So really, truly delighted. And to get over a thousand investors was, I thought, astonishing. And of those, there is a decent proportion, not but up who are customers. And they may not, they're definitely not the big investors, the big tickets, but that's fine. That's great. That was a whole purpose behind this, that proportion who are now going to be advocates in the truest sense because their interests are directly aligned with ours and can give us that true feedback. So yeah, really, really thrilled with the outcome of the crowdfunding. No, no question about it. Very successful. Yeah. And just picking up the amount that you overfunded by, when you were preparing for your campaign, how did you come about setting your target at £1.5 million? Well, I think having been through the process, I would say that there's there's as much art as science behind setting the targets. So one thing with the dynamics of crowdfunding is you understand that it's important to get momentum. So we needed to be confident that, you know, when you go out and you're pre-work for your crowdfunding round, you effectively do a sort of sounding out of potential investors, you know, of all the sorts of, you know, friends and family and associations and all the rest of it. And that was a really important step um, for us, and I think is for anyone going through the crowdfunding in deciding what we should go for. We were in the fortunate position to have good VCs on our ticket, as it, as it were. So we've got good support. So it was getting the, the balance right between um, targeting the right number that could be meaningful for us to do what we wanted to do in terms of delivering growth. So sufficient to do that, but not to be so overambitious as for us to then fall flat on the face. And find that you know we've set a target of three million, which ultimately we almost raised, and perhaps maybe we would have got to a million, million and a half, and it might have stalled because it didn't have this whole sort of momentum, which is clearly important from the psychology of crowdfunding. Yeah, and you mentioned there about engaging your friends and family before launching the campaign. Tell us about the process that you went through to preparing for the launch of your campaign. I think it's like, I suppose, like any investment round, preparation is everything. So we set out in terms of when we launched, probably about three months before we launched, about making sure we had a really clear story that was easily illustrated in a simple deck. Because, of course, unlike other normal fundraising rounds, you don't necessarily get to present your case um to people you know for crowdfunding it's a a deck of information that goes up on a site and people interrogate it yes they can ask a couple of questions but you don't present the case Mm. and we would like to think typically that you know we can talk to our business and to our slides in a far more sort of effective way than just a pure deck so getting that deck right was really important getting that story the level of simplicity our business you know and what we presented was actually wasn't everything about our business. So we didn't go into all sorts of different areas of opportunity we think we have because they're really quite complex around our data advantage or potential data advantage and data flows with reinsurance value chain and so forth. You know, I think that would only go to serve to, I mean, you know, I find it difficult to get my own head around. So, uh, you know, how 
the sort of the crowd would manage with that would be difficult. So that was a key part, is getting a really simple deck and then testing that with a few people just to get their reaction. And then to your point, once we felt we comfortable, we had that decent deck and that message, you know, we did just circulate it around to friends, families, colleagues, people, you know, uh, in the industry, people we know, uh, all of our networks to gauge the interest. And throughout the process, did you rely on any external support services or platform support at all? So we did our crowdfunding with Cedars. Um, we looked at Crowdcube as the other major, obviously, platform, obviously. This is before they, I'm not sure whether it's happened yet, but before the merger that is, I'm assuming is going ahead. And Cedars were helpful, definitely, in terms of providing some insight and support and some of this stuff. We also did take some advice from both other people that had gone through a crowdfunding process. I think that's really, it's just an obvious thing to do, I guess, but really helpful. You know, we hadn't been through that. And there are some things that are a little bit different in terms of how you engage. Something that we, even though we were told this, we certainly probably underestimated was the amount of questions and then that would come in on the platform and therefore, and the importance of being able to answer those really quickly, you know, timely and coherently. So that's just an example of something we learned along that way. We did take you know, counsel from a whole broad range of people. And I would certainly advocate anyone who's considering a crowdfunding to do exactly that. You will learn an awful lot. And like everything in life, it's all about avoiding the bear traps. It's avoiding making the mistakes as many as you can. You know, you can't avoid making them all, but mm-hmm. um, that's the best route. And that certainly we found very useful. You mentioned there that you initially considered Crowdcube as an option What sort of swayed it for you going to Cedars? The truth is it was very close. I happened to have some good connections, both businesses. There were two deciding factors. And I think it's important for everyone to make up their own view and decision. Broadly speaking, the big differentiator between the two platforms is the number of investors that Crowdcube sort of has on its books, which is a very far greater number than Cedars. Cedars position themselves as having a sort of a more professional investor, bigger ticket item sort of type uh, investor base. That's how they, we interpreted the difference. But I think that the big difference for us came in two folds. One was we had one of the references we took from someone who had used Crowdcube said they'd absolutely achieved their aim. It was a successful raise. It was good. But they had felt at the end there was just a couple of things that didn't quite work as promised and therefore was a little bit chaotic. I want to emphasize this. They were clear to us that, you know, so when I asked the question, which anyone asks, would you do it with Crowdcube again? They weren't 100, it wasn't 100% yes. Mm. So that was something that, you know, that was one experience that someone had. And we don't know whether we would have had that or not. And inevitably, that's sort of, and it is fine margins when you're choosing between the two. I suppose the other thing which we were attracted for was to see the secondary platform. So the concept of being able to give people an opportunity to monetize their holding, even on a relatively basic place, felt like a really sort of good thing for people to do and that they wouldn't be. There is a bit of pressure when you're going out, and particularly when you've got friends and family investing into your business, there's pressure for that business to perform. But you're also fully aware that they potentially locking away you know, some of their investment you know, in a private business for some time. So the thought that actually there might be a way out for those that really need it on a secondary platform was also a definitely factor for us. Okay. Just picking up on one thing you mentioned there about 
you know, after the campaign closes, could you talk to us about the closing process of the round, how that went, um, and any, I guess, top tips for companies to speed that process up? Uh, yes. Well, being very candid, our closing process was definitely slow and frustratingly so. I probably fairly uniquely, I don't know, but the reason ours was slow was because our funding round was a convertible loan note as opposed to an equity round. And our seed investor, Octopus, who are brilliant, you know, fantastic investor for us, really supportive, supported the round as well because they didn't want their dilute, you know, they didn't want their shares diluted, uh, which is always good. However, because of their construct as a VCT, they have quite clear and strict requirements that we've learned about around convertible loan notes and what they can and can't do. So what transpired was what we had thought was going to be a fairly simple process of getting the legals all in place became a very convoluted process where ultimately we used the Oculus lawyers to draft things. We were dealing with five different parties to close this round, and they actually had to have a different class of loan note with less rights than everyone else. Sounds odd, but that was the restrictions of the fund. So I know that's hopefully very few people would experience if I were to learn from that process. We would have done a lot more exploration and indeed preparation of those documents prior because I suppose we went in absolutely believing we would be successful, which we were. So we would have got ahead of the curve on the legals. But that did mean that ultimately it took us nearly two months to actually close from the point which we closed the investment to close around, which is two months of my life I won't get back. And Phil, were there any other challenges which were unseen throughout the campaign? I think probably the one I've already sort of briefly alluded to, which was I had definitely underestimated the sort of time that it would take both myself and some of our senior team to respond to all the myriad of questions that, that came in. Many of them were good questions. Um, I'm very happy, you know, to answer them. And it's quite fragmented the way that they come in. They come in at all hours. And so that was definitely something that we had been told that it would be a lot and it would take a lot of our time. I suppose we didn't quite we didn't quite quantify a lot. And you know, hugely grateful, you know, and put a shout out to Sarah, who runs the money for us and ran this process internally, essentially. You know, an amazing job. But inevitably, you know, it took a lot of her time, but also a lot of my time as well. So that's one of the key learnings that I don't think that's something you can avoid. It's just something you have to recognise and accept. Mm. And just looking at the other side to that, the positives, did you notice any uplift in customer signups as a result of launching your campaign? Difficult to be certain, but I think we think if there was any, it was modest. Mm. And I would certainly say that wouldn't be, certainly wouldn't be a primary reason for doing this uh, in terms of customer acquisition. I'm sure, we had lots of interest around it. But we didn't. I mean, you can never be sure because of our trading patterns. There's a seasonality to, to life insurance that drops off, actually. And our volumes actually did maintain going into, in fact, increase into December. But 
we don't know how much that was, you know, all the other activity. And I think if you asked our growth team, it, they would tell you that it's it was more around their actions than the, than the crowdfunding. So I think it's unlikely that it had any, certainly no material effect on our on our actual trading. That's good to know. Now, I saw you announce recently that you raised further investment as part of this round from Channel 4 Ventures. Would you be able to tell us a little bit more about that? And a follow-up question, will you be launching another campaign for your Series B? Sure. Yeah, the conversations with Channel 4 Ventures have been very interesting and exciting. And it was a very natural one for us. It was actually going alongside all the way along. In fact, we closed that deal at the same time because we wanted the terms to be the same as the crowdfunding. So they were very adjacent in that sense, albeit, and I suppose, had it been a cash deal, it, it probably would have, in theory, been part of the crowdfunding deal. But the rationale there is we are at the stage where we're looking at significant growth. We had been testing TV campaigns from May last year. Uh, with some DRTV, and they've gone well. So we were clear that TV was going to become an important part of our strategy. And we'd also seen an improvement in terms of some of our, our brand recognition. So there was a view that actually it would be really helpful for us to test some brand TV could do for us and increase the pace of our DRTV. And for those who we're familiar with the sort of consumer-led businesses, DR, you know, direct response TV and brand TV. Um, there's a bit of a grey line between the two. You know, I'm still not 100% clear, but essentially the really expensive slots can't be justified as a, a direct response. You know, if you want to be on TV on, on the Coronation or, you know, um, street advert break, you're never going to get a return from a pure response uh, basis, but you are going to get a brand effect of recognition, which obviously has that deeper value. So we wanted to test that. And so there are a couple of partners out there, UK TV we spoke to as well. Channel 4 is a really good fit for us because of the, their audience, our audience profile, proved a, and are proving a really good partner for us. And that's a simple way of them effectively betting on us because it's the same basis. They've done a convertible loan note. So we now have £2 million worth of credit, if you like, to spend on Channel 4 TV to test all that brand TV. And they end up as the shareholders. So they've got a, a stronger alignment of interest than any other sort of normal partnership to make sure that the advertising and that brand TV work. You know, we just started this. We've done some regional brand TV, started this month in Scotland, Northern Ireland and, uh, and the North. And we're going to be spreading that over the course of the next few months. So really... Exciting deal for us, an important step in our growth path, um, for sure. Yeah. The second question, it's a really interesting question. We are well set. Now we've got good funding in place. I think we are ambitious. So we will confident that there'll be another funding round. And in fact, there has to be another funding round just so that we can um, convert these convertible loan notes into an equity statement. So we need a, a price for that. So we will do that. The nature of that round, you know, I think we haven't decided yet. So for this business, we may we're unclear as to whether there'll definitely be a second crowdfunding element to it. Would I do crowdfunding again in any other business, you know, per se, based on the experience I've had? The answer would be yes. You know, I think it has been a positive experience. We've definitely got some of the wins that we were hoping for when we went into this. And platforms and the support that we got through that, whilst it was, you know, as like any other fundraiser, it was a lot of work, you know, it was a very good outcome for us. And therefore, it is a, a route that I would recommend to the right business. 
And Phil, what would be your top tips for other entrepreneurs who are looking into crowdfunding as, as an option to, to raise investment? There's quite a few considerations, actually. And an important point to know, which, which people may or may not be aware, is that crowdfunding in the UK has a sort of different perspective to, the, to elsewhere, certainly in Europe. So it looked at more positively in the UK. And as an illustration of that, when we told eVentures, who are our sort of uh, who are a German-based VC, that we were thinking about crowdfunding, their initial reaction was quite negative. And the reason they said it was negative is their perception and, and much of Europe's perception around crowdfunding is that they think it's a, a sign of weakness. So their view is well, people that crowdfund. Businesses that crowdfund are generally businesses that are struggling to raise finance elsewhere. So they're appealing to a less sophisticated investor to raise money. So I was genuinely surprised and shocked when I heard that. But I actually, interestingly, have heard that from other another Spanish-based fund um, with similar sort of view. So that's something to be mindful of. Okay, investors, I think, are far, you know, the whole crowdfunding is far more established in this environment. And it definitely doesn't have that stigma attached to it. But you do have to have really good reasons for doing it. So felt we did have, you know, we were clearly a D2C business. We could clearly articulate the value that we intended to gain from having this investor base to use it as a sounding board for us and for further developments and to have them as advocates. You know, and our Member Get Member program has definitely taken on a new lease of life through all of this. So I think it's what I would say to anyone considering this is your business, it needs to have a rationale for raising money more than just raising money. I do think it's interesting your experience with these European VCs. Now, I've spoken with the likes of Moneybox, who was on our first episode. They received investment as part of the round from Eight Roads, who is a global VC. They've you know invested in, in household names such as Alibaba and Made.com. Previously, we had Heights on the show. Um, now, Heights received investment from Forward Partners, who I know is very pro-crowdfunding. A lot of their portfolio have launched crowdfunding campaigns in the past. So I do think overall, perception is positive from VCs and perhaps perceptions are changing amongst European VCs. So if a company is set on crowdfunding, what other pieces of advice would you give them? I guess the only other thing, and this is probably in our DNA anyway, is you have to remember when you're going onto a crowdfunding platform, it's exactly that. So your moment in the sun is brief. And Cedar's like, you know, they're a business. And they're not just raising money for you. They're raising money for, at any one time, 20, 30 different businesses. So you need to stand out. You need to really write, you know, whether that be eye-catching the video that you do, whether that be the, the graphics and the initial and, the, and the, those first few statements on that page, they have to be incredibly compelling. So you absolutely have to recognize that you're in a competitive market for funding. And there'll be some other brilliant businesses, no doubt about it, on that platform raising at the same time, all competing for that same dollar. So that's something that, you know, however much 
you passionately believe in your business, um, you have to recognize the context within which. And that's unusual because normally in a crowdfunding, yes, sure, you're always competing for, for VCs, but normally you get the isolated attention for a period of time to whoever you're presenting to. And this just doesn't happen. So that is a really important thing to consider when you're putting together a campaign. How are you going to stand out for the crowd? Because if you don't do that, you will struggle. And what do you think it was about Dead Happy that stood out to to the crowd? I can give you my best guess, my best view. I mean, our brand, you know, the very name itself, it always gets cut through. It's something that stops people, you know, in their tracks because they don't expect it. It's why we love it. And we definitely, one of the reasons we believe we punch above our weight in the sense of people's awareness around it. So that, you know, is a brilliant asset for us anyway, and part of the DNA of the business. So that was definitely one thing. I do think when people got to the deck, we definitely chose a different approach. We felt that if you had looked at our deck, our first slide was six reasons why you shouldn't invest. Including the avocado, remember it. (laughs) There we go. Exactly that. So, you know, we're always looking for these things which are sort of counterintuitive, but make it memorable. Because again, you're competing for these things. So thinking carefully about that sort of stuff to stand out from the crowd is fundamental. So I think those sorts of things really helped. I mean, we've got a brilliant creative team here. You know, the decks that they produce are, I think, first class. And I say that as someone who you know, I, in a former life, I've done been around the block plenty of times. I've sat on the investment side as an investor in businesses and as a non-exec and chair of businesses and, be, uh, and supporting VCs. So I've seen a lot of this stuff. I can't take credit for the quality of what they do because they produce it, but I do know that it's some of the best work that I've seen in terms of it's the way it stands out, the way it delivers its message in a differentiated way. So I think those are things that we felt we really executed those things, fundamentals really well. Mm. And you mentioned there, Phil, that you've had experience on the investor side. I'm not sure if you invest at all in, in you know, crowdfunding platforms, but what would be you know, the first things that, that you look at and, and what would be you know, the top tips from an investor's perspective that entrepreneurs can take away and ensure that they have and, and are prepared for? I suppose at the very highest level, there are two fundamentals that anyone would be looking for if you're looking to invest. So one is clearly there has to be a clear problem that you're you're solving. And it has to be a significant problem, something that is significant enough to deliver a scalable business. And too often you do see what, what appear to be lovely ideas, really neat solutions, really clever things, but you know, the problem that they're solving isn't that material. And therefore, that's one of the questions that an investor should always be asking and normally does always ask themselves. But if you have that solution, or if you have that product, thought, and idea, then everything then is all about execution. And execution is done by people. So being able to demonstrate that you have got a brilliant team is fundamental. There are very few investors who will purely then invest based on an idea and the entrepreneur. Because however you know, visionary you might be, no one can do it on their own. So being able to demonstrate a really experienced team, a diverse team that will bring different views is fundamental. You know, we, we've added an experiment here at Dead Happy. We place 
a huge emphasis on the culture and values of the business and the environment and the ways of working because you know we know that we don't have all the answers we know we're going to come across all sorts of questions along our path that we can't even anticipate right now the one thing you can do is you can equip yourselves as a team to be able to address them and that's fundamental because every business is going to come across all sorts of lumps and bumps along the way you know I don't believe there's almost any business, maybe a few, that just flies through untroubled and and, grows to be a huge organization. It just doesn't happen. And so the only way that you do that is by having that diverse team. So that's the other thing that every investor, certainly any experienced investor is looking for, illustrate demonstration of that broad team and that ability to to deal with a curveball that inevitably is going to come your way at some point. I think that's really good advice. And I think it's a good good place to sort of end, end the show. Phil, where can we find out more about Dead Happy and what you guys are up to? Sure. Well, always welcome to go onto our website, uh, which is www.deadhappy.com, which is uh, ever-changing and ever-increasing. And we'll, we'll, uh, you'll find lots of information there. Or if you want to have a look at my own LinkedIn profile, Phil Zeidler, then that will also share a little bit more insights in terms of some of the stuff that we're doing. So there you go. Fantastic. Thanks a lot, Phil. Really appreciate your time. No trouble. Absolute pleasure. I hope you enjoyed this interview. On the next episode, I'll be speaking with Alex Latham, the CMO at Chip, who has raised multiple times on Crowdcube. So be sure to subscribe to be the first to hear it.